Tucker is so grateful. We've been together, working together for, I think, almost 10 years together, which has been such a blessing. But he's always like, hey, do you want to share? I'm like, no, thanks. And, do you ever want to, do you want to teach something? No, thanks. And like, I'm just out of my heart, so simply say, no, thanks. It's just easy, right? And so this one was a very similar interaction. No, thanks, no, thanks, no, thanks. We got to like three or four of those. And he's like, well, I'd, I'd really want you to do that. And I was like, well, that's okay. Yep, we'll see what happens. So, um, <laughs> So, so excited you guys could be here for this. Um, so, so great. Um, do you guys get nervous? Like, yeah? Okay, that's reassuring. That's good. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, I, uh, I like talking. I don't have a problem talking. Even standing up here doesn't bother me. Uh, but it's like, okay, God, what, what do you want me to say? Like, this is, your, this is your book. Like, what do you want me to say? What do I have to bring that's going to help anybody in this room, right? Like, so God, you better speak to these people. And that's been my interaction with God the last several weeks, honestly. It was like out of anxiety and sinning the last several weeks, just anxiety and on top of anxiety being like, God, you, you've got to say something. Because like, I, I don't have anything to give these people. It's only your word that has the words of life, right? Like you got to say something to people. So I just want to get out of the way and I want you to say what you need to say to your people. Because I would rather sing you songs right now. And if you would like, prefer that, I could go grab a guitar. <laughs> but, um, or I'd rather go run miles and miles in the foothills, right? Like, I love, I love running. You guys like running? Anybody like running? Okay. Now, how many of you don't like running? Yes, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> There's always more people that don't like running, that, that do like running. I was converted to love running like four or five years ago. It's now become just a great outlet for me, honestly, to get out and, and, and flush out my brain, my mind, and all the anxiety that gets built up through moments like this. Um, because I, I love just getting out there and running with the Lord. And I get to talk to him, and we have conversations. And I was having a conversation with him this last week, because I run a decent amount every week. But this last week, I ran a lot more. <laughs> um, building up to this moment, I was like, okay, I got to get out there and just get my head straight. And, and I was running, and I was like, God, I don't like coming to this this moment with just anxiety. I know that's not right. Like, forgive me. I'm sorry. I was like, could, could I just be a little more confident? Like, I'd rather err on the side of arrogance. Can I sin in arrogance instead, instead of anxiety? Because I just want, I, I want to be like comfortable and confident in what I need to say. And he's like, well, neither. Sorry, you can't, you can't go do that in anxiety. And I don't want you to do that in arrogance either. I want you to come and, and just rest at my feet. I want you to just come and ask for me to provide. I want to provide for you, right? And I, I'm saying all this because I want, I want to share that with you guys, that God has given you guys gifts, talents, abilities to speak and lead and teach in different areas of life, in different communities and in families. And so use those opportunities that he gives you to let him provide for you what it is you need to share. Let him provide for you what it is that he has that he wants to do in and through you and through your life. And so if I have to be like a, a, a real example of that, like right now in, this, in a prophetic way, like these prophets had to live out these weird things, like I, that's what I get to do for you today. I get to live out Noah's nerves on stage live for you all today. So welcome to Noah's nerves, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, so, um, but I do get it, just to pile on some more fun stories like that, I get to share with you a passage in here, which is about Christ coming to fulfill the law. If you guys know the Sermon on the Mount, it's like the passage that nobody wants to do. So I was like, cool, Tuck, thanks for like getting me up there with just a really fun passage. Because this is like a pivot point passage that really 
sets up the rest of what Christ is doing and what he's going to kind of explain throughout the Sermon on the Mount. It's the real thick, like, theological piece in some ways that really sets everything else up. So I was like, wow, thanks, God. Like, this is just extra special that I get to do that passage, you know, on top of these two, three weeks of just anxiety and everything that could go wrong goes wrong and everything piles up at once, right? Like families in town, hot water heater blows up, cars in the shop, flat tire on the other one. Like this has been my life the last several weeks. And so, oh, and then I got to get ready for my own vacation and get my kids ready. And it just all these things just build, 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 right? And I'm just like, wow, I, why, why these last two weeks, God? And he says, because I want you to come to me and I want to provide for you something that you can't do. You don't get to do it. You're weak. Admit it. Let me be strong. Let me show you something. So I love that. I love that about God, that he lets my life come to complete chaos for me to get to the point I'm on my knees and I'm say, okay, fine, you, you do it. You say something, right? And so I, I just share that with you because I think we all get to that place and we all need to surrender and say, okay, God, you provide. You come in. You share. You help. You, you give me what I need, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today in this passage. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount here of Matthew and uh, continue in that. And so we're going to cover verses 17 through 20. Before I do that, though, I give you guys all a little handout in the bulletin. If you grab the bulletin on the way in, if not, we'll put it up on the screen here so you can see it as I kind of chat through it really quickly. But this came from uh, a teacher of mine, Steve Walker. He's a great pastor for like 40 years down in Oregon. He lives here now. He helps teach a part of this program that I'm at here, um, like this seminary cohort that I'm a part of. And so he gives us this little, uh, little uh, cheat sheet, I call it, of the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I love this because I like little anecdotal things that kind of help me remember passages or help me get into the Bible or different books of the Bible or sections of the Bible. And so he's done a great job kind of mapping this out for us and because we can kind of see where we've been. We went through the rethink your values section already with going through the Beatitudes and John Whitaker last week did a great job, I think, sharing what salt and light look like, right, in, our, in today's society and who we are as believers and how we live that out. Um, so we kind of covered that section and today we're getting into raise your standards. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit that first one, the Bible, because like I said, this is the pivot point. And after that, we see tons of examples of how we're supposed to live out our lives as believers. So we're going to be in Raise Your Standards and then keep this for the rest of the series for this summer as we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount and use this as your own time when, you're, when you get away and, and studying through this stuff to kind of help maybe remember uh, where we're at and where we're going. But today... We're going to see these next two sections down at the bottom. It says, Jesus corrects two deadly mistakes and Jesus asks two probing questions. We're going to get into that a little bit because we're going to see that, number one, morality amounts to rule-keeping is a great mistake. And that performance is the basis for acceptance is another mistake. And then we're going to, we're going to answer the question of, well, what does God want from me then? Okay? And who needs a Savior? That's kind of the premise of the, really this whole book uh, this whole section that we're going to be in. But uh, those are the two things I will try to answer today um, and look at those different deadly mistakes as well as we do that. So this message uh, will, will hopefully encourage you and equip you and help you to just better understand this. What do we do, God? How, how do we do this? And so let's, uh, let's get into our passage, though. So this will be verse 17 through 20. If you don't mind, I'm just going to read this really quick, and then we'll go back and kind of break it up. So... Chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Heavy, heavy passage. Some bold, bold statements from Jesus in here. And so that's why this is a, it's a tricky passage. There's great godly men that disagree on this passage. But I, I love the simplicity sometimes that God gives us when we look at his word. And he was so great at right in parables and stories to just unpack these really big truths, but in simple ways. And so my desire today is to kind of simplify this in some ways and make it something that we can all understand, something that we can kind of walk through and say, okay, God, well, now what do we do? And this kind of helps spell it out. I think this passage helps us spell that out. So, so let's look at verse 17 a little bit. So it says, don't, or do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. I, I think he's saying, guys, don't, don't misunderstand me here, okay? I didn't come to just eradicate this Mosaic law that you're familiar with or the prophecies that the prophets uh, uh, shared, but I've, I've, I've not come to do that. I don't come to, to tear it down or change it or do anything like that. I've come to actually fulfill them. And so that's a, that's a pretty uh, meaty statement to come out and say, hey, I, you know, I know you guys have all been trying this for a while, living out these laws, right? Your scribes and Pharisees are modeling for that for you. But um, I'm, I'm going to actually go ahead and take care of that. I'm going to fulfill that today. <laughs> I'm going to start to show you what that looks like. And all the prophecies that you've heard about, all the prophets have shared about what a Messiah is going to do and what they're going to be like, I, I'm going to go ahead and do that as well. So he's very, very bold, I think, out of the gate here saying, hey, I'm, I'm not going to change the game. I'm not going to change the rules at all. I'm going to come and I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to fulfill it all. And I'm going to show you guys what that looks like. And so how does he do that? Um, Very simply, plainly, he does that through just perfect obedience to the law. He does that through the fulfillment of the prophecies that, that are out there about the Messiah. And so it's far, it's far, far from canceling the scriptures. He's going to come and he's going to fulfill them. And I love that. I love that he opens up like that. And, and remember, he's talking to his disciples too. I know we, we mentioned that at the beginning of this series, but he's, he's left the crowds. Um, he, he had been ministering to these great crowds, it says, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom in chapter four. That, that, that was his thing. He was out just proclaiming the kingdom, right? So keep that in mind. And now he zooms in. He says in chapter five, verse one, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So you know, it's, it's more of a, almost like a home, home group, small group, kind of his disciples came and he sat down, you know, it's a more intimate setting. He's like, all right, now let me, let me tell you guys some things. I've been talking about the kingdom to these crowds. I've been sharing all these kingdom things and ideas. And now I want to kind of zoom in a little bit with you guys. So he's, he's doing that. So remember that, keep that in mind. Um, Because in verse 18, he says, so now truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So how long is that? Well, it's just till it's all done, till it's all fulfilled, till it's all accomplished, right? Like he said. But I think there's two different time periods that we're also looking at in this verse. And so if you want to kind of follow along with me, he says the first bit is, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. So as long as you can see this earth, this planet that we live on, 
that this is all, this is all in play. This is, this, the word, the, the, the rules, all this stuff, the law, it's all in play. So, okay, well, that's, that's interesting, Jesus. So wait, wait a second, because you're saying the Bible is full authority. It's all still there. And yes, um, well, then should we still be sacrificing animals? Should we still be doing these Old Testament rituals and things and, and covenant things? Uh, no, no, I don't think so, because of the second time period that we're going to look at right here. Because um, until everything is accomplished is the second half of this. So we see two different time periods. Jesus recognizes that not all the scriptures are going to be fulfilled at the same time. And I think that's an important thing to point out, is that these Old Testament ceremonies, sacrifices, things like that, are going to be fulfilled in the sacrifice that Jesus gives on the cross. And so he's going to fulfill that Mosaic law, all these laws that the scribes and the Pharisees have been, you know, clinging to and holding on to and trying to do perfectly. He's going to go ahead and take care of that. He's going to fulfill that. And he's going to die on the cross to be the ultimate sacrifice to fulfill that. And so in that sense, that will be done. That will be fulfilled. So that will be, that'll be off the table at that point, right? And so, and we're going to see later why he, why he wants to fulfill to the, to the smallest detail, right? Because that's what he said. He says, not an iota, not a dot, right? Um, so it's very small, neat details there. He's going to try to fulfill every little detail, and he's going to. But on the other hand, there's this moral law of God that remains. So we're going to lose this Mosaic covenant and, and law. He's going to fulfill it. It's going to be done. But there's this moral law that reigns, that keeps, continues. He's got, that's part of his kingdom that he's preaching, that we're going to hear more about what that looks like and what we do and, and how we act. So this moral law is going to still be in play, in effect, throughout history, really, as a, as a reflection, I think, of his holy character, of who he is and how he wants us to interact and, and do life here together on earth. But uh, do you guys know what an iota is or a dot? Any guesses out there? I thought it was a cute little animal, iota. It just sounds like a kind of cool, but it's not at all. It's, a, it's like a little small thing in the alphabet, in the, in the Hebrew alphabet. But it's a very, very small thing, but it makes a big difference depending on how you use it, right? It's like if you look at the letter P um, and you add the kickstand to it, now it's like an R, right? So it's a big difference if you're talking to Pat or a rat, right? So that's, but you put that little kickstand on there and you got a rat instead of Pat. And so it's little differences like that that Jesus is kind of pointing out, right? Saying, hey, this is, I'm, I'm going to fulfill this to the very minuscule details, down to the very smallest thing. So don't, that's why I say it's called raise your, raise your standards. He's like, don't lower the bar. Look what I can do. Watch what I'm about to do, right? I'm about to do this to the detail. And so pay attention. And so I think that's really important to think about because um, what he was talking to, these scribes and Pharisees, they, as we get to the next verse, we're going to see that they were relaxing some of these laws. They were kind of not really doing the whole thing. And so that's why he, they get called out in this next little section. But again, coming back to our second time periods, we have until heaven and earth disappear, until everything is accomplished, Jesus recognizes that you know, these are going to be at different time frames. Um, but the moral law continues, and Jesus insists that the scriptures are authoritative for our standards, and they're reliable down to the smallest detail, and he's going to go ahead and fulfill those, is what we're going to see as the story continues. Verse 19, Therefore then, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He's, in a, in a way, he's declaring war on these scribes and Pharisees. He's like, hey, you guys have been, you've been relaxing 
the, the rules that I've given you, in a sense. Like, great, you're like, in some ways, great job on the, on the Mosaic Covenant laws and all that stuff. You've, you've really kept yourself from some things that are bad. That's great. Um, but you've missed the heart of what I'm doing here. You missed the desire of, of really, I want you guys to be in right communion with my heart. I want you to be in right relationships with each other. I want you to serve and bless and care for and provide for one another and help each other. Not just take care of these rules and laws and, and try to perform them perfectly. Perfectly. I'm, I, that's going to get rid of those, those two um, deadly mistakes, right? They're at the top, right? Morality amounts to rule keeping. He's like, no, no, that's not it. Performance is the basis for acceptance. No, no, that's not it. And so, well, what is it, Jesus? What is it? Because he's kind of putting them up against the wall a little bit, these Pharisees, and how he's talking. And, and he's using it, too, as a model to his disciples, saying, you guys, those are your... Those are your uh, those are the people you respect, you can look up to, right? Those are your, your pastors and your teachers, right, in modern-day society, right? The scribes and the Pharisees. And I don't want to paint them all in the bad picture. These guys were great biblical, godly guys, right, for the most part. I'd say we, we definitely see some radical ones that went too far. But, like, these guys were the back-to-the-Bible people. They were trying to get people back into the Word and follow the rule and the law. And, and, and that, was, that was a good thing. But they missed the heart. And so that's where Jesus is going to get them in the next, in verse 20. Because, um, well, well, we'll save that. It's coming up. I'm going to spend more time on 20 in just a second. 19, though, he says, so these guys are relaxing these things, and they're going to be considered least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so, he's, again, he's pointing to himself. He's like, you're like we're gonna, I'm going to do them. And I, I don't want you to lower the bar. I'm going to keep it up where it belongs because I want this moral uh, righteousness, this real inward righteousness, this heart to be exemplified because you guys know the rules. You've seen all the guard, guardrails and guidelines and stuff like that, but that's, that's just to keep you in the right heart and you just turned it into a whole other system. So I want to get you back into the heart of what this is really all about. And so he's declaring, I think, kind of this war on these guys, these, these spiritual leaders in the day and, the, and their, really their cherished legalistic system that they had in place and that they were you know, doing a good job of and, and felt great about and, and arrogant about in a sense. And so he's saying that not only will the good works defined by these Pharisees, because they defined the good works in the day and, and, and it was incorrect. He says, uh, it will not make someone great in God's kingdom, but it will also, um, the legalism that they're in, well, we'll talk about in a minute, well, it won't even get them into the kingdom of heaven. And that's, that's the heavy subject part of this, this passage here is in verse 20. So let's read it. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's the passage it just kind of feels weird, doesn't it? <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, that's heavy, God. Like, that's, that's a lot. How do, how, do we, how do we exceed what these guys have done? They've put extra rules in place just to keep them from the original rules. Like, that's impressive, right? And God's saying, like, no, no, not really. Um, because they missed the heart of what really I've, I've I've desired from you guys from the get-go. You know, this law wasn't always in place. There was people before the law that existed that, that God called blameless, that God called righteous, that God said believed in him. And so, okay, well, then what do, what do we do, God? This is, this is heavy. This is big. And this is that question that I think we need to answer that's on your sheet there that says, well, what do you want from me then, God? <laughs> what, what, what are we supposed to do? What does that look like? What I think it is simply is this inner, inner righteousness, this 
internal righteousness, this inner man that we read about in the New Testament and more about in the future. But God's desiring this inner change, this heart change, right? The external part is, is there as is guidelines and guardrails, but he's desiring this heart um, change. And so that's, that's what he's leaning towards when he says that, you know, you've got you to exceed the scribes and Pharisees because they're taking care of the, kind of the external stuff, but they've missed the heart part. And so God, okay, well, what, what does that look like? How do we do that? Because the only righteousness that satisfies God's standard is going to be this heart, this heart thing. And so what is that? And, and I think it's belief. I think it's faith. We read it all about, about it in the New Testament, you know, that we have faith in Jesus. And so that's, that's what it's going to equate to here, I think, is Jesus is calling them to say, you got to have faith in me. you got to believe in me and believe in the things that I'm going to share with you and that I'm going to model and I'm going to do. I want you to do likewise. So he says in uh, Romans, if you guys want to turn with me, I don't have a, a slide for this one, but in Romans 3, 21... It's kind of the, the beginning of it, where he, he's talking about upholding righteousness, right? Righteousness through God's, through, or the righteousness of God through faith is what that little section's titled. Okay, so got to have faith. And then in chapter 4, we get like kind of a, a little snapshot, a little picture of someone who, who did this, which is great when we can see little models like that, right? So it's Abraham justified by faith. So I'm just going to read these first few verses of chapter 4. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, right? Like just like a Pharisee. Like, Look at all this cool stuff I've done. Look at all the rules I kept. Great job, right? He has something to boast about, but, but not before God. Maybe, above, maybe around men. They, maybe they'll be impressed by these. For what does the scripture say, though? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed. He believed what? And that's what I'd like to actually unpack a little bit, uh, mostly for today, is what, what, did, what did Abraham believe? That it was counted to him as righteousness, that he, was, he had this faith in God that counted him as righteousness. These scribes and Pharisees are trying to do everything, and they can't get it. So what did Abraham do? To get it. How did, he, how did he achieve that? He believed, plain and simple. But I want to look at the life of Abraham a little bit because I think it helps us unlock, really, some of the things that we want to ask. Like, oh God, what do you want me to do? So I think that will help show and reveal a little bit of that because I think he demonstrated this type of faith in God and it was considered him as righteousness, like I said. So he had faith in God and to plainly break it down, um, I think it's, it comes down to four things. He was Really simply, he was, he was loyal to God. He trusted God, even when it didn't make sense. He was obedient. He obeyed God. And I'll unpack that a little bit more in a second. And then he looked to God for provision. Those four different things that I think help wrap up kind of his, his faith, his belief in God. And this, these things that he did even to live out uh, a righteous and just life. So... Really quick, before we jump into Abraham, though, I wanted to share a similar story in Isaiah. And this is just to kind of reiterate that this is nothing new. Jesus is obviously sharing uh, his thoughts on how the modern-day religion's going with the scribes and the Pharisees, right? And, and he's kind of saying, hey, this isn't it. This isn't it. This isn't the way to do it. It's not about all these rules and regulations. You have to have the heart change. And this, was, this is, time and time again, happens all throughout the Old Testament. We see it over and over and over with the people of Israel. And this is in Isaiah chapter 1. 
And I'm just going to kind of read some highlights from this, starting in, in verse 10 of really the scene of what's going on. He's, he's talking to Sodom. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God. So pay attention. You guys, pay attention. Give ear. Jesus always says that too, doesn't he? He's like, he, he who has an ear, let him hear. Like, hey, listen up. I got something for you. This is a little time to stop and like pay attention when you hear that. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of your burnt offerings and rams and the fat of the well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls. He's, he's, he's like saying, I don't care about your sacrifices. These, these laws, these rules, these things that you're just doing, you're just going through the motions. I don't care. Skipping ahead a little bit, you know, bring no more vain offerings to me. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. And even though you make many prayers, I'm not going to listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. In verse 16, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. You're doing all the motions. You don't have the heart. And here's the clincher. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. He, break, he breaks it down so simply for us. You, you, you want to know what to do? There's a great little list to start with right there. That's a great, great list to start with to get close to God's heart, to, get, to understand his heart and how he wants us to live our lives. It's not all these sacrifices. It's not all these rituals. It's not all these traditions. And which even coming to church can become those things to us where we think, okay, this is what it's all about. I went, went to that service. I did that. I did that. Okay, cool. I checked my church boxes, you know, like, great, good job. And, and, and God is so sympathetic to that, but he says, no, 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 that's not it. What I want you to have is a heart like my heart that does what? It seeks justice. It's learning to do good. It's correcting oppression when you see it. It's bringing justice to the fatherless. It's pleading the widow's cause, right? Later on, it's called uh, pure and undefiled religion, right? It's to help orphans and widows. He's, he's giving us really practical examples and glimpses into his heart of how he desires us to live. So I love that Isaiah passage because it's, it's the same story, right? Now we're in Matthew and we're hearing the same thing about the scribes and Pharisees. He's like, you guys, you're, you're going through the motions, but you don't have the heart. And that's not going to get you into the kingdom. You're, you're missing the point of what I want. And so into, into Abraham's life, let's look, because I think he has some of these keys that help us unlock really what God wants us to do and, and who he's calling us to be as believers, right? And if we call ourselves that, then there's, there's some things, I think, that are attached to that. So let's look at Abraham's life a little bit. I'm just going to give you some snapshots of this. So, um, and we can pop pop it up on the screen there just to show you kind of our map of where we're going. But Genesis 12 is the first stop in Abraham's life that we see. And this is where we're going to see loyalty displayed, right? This is his, his kind of his calling. Jesus, or God is calling him uh, to, to be following him. He, he promises him these awesome blessings if he, if he follows, follows him and trusts him. And so Abraham... Um, in this story, we're going to see that he's going to receive a blessing if he does this, so, which is awesome. So he says, the Lord said to Abraham, verse 1, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house into a land I'm going to show you, and I will make you a great nation. That's amazing. And I will, I will uh, bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So I'm, I'm, going to make, I'm going to bless you so you can bless other people. 
And I will bless those who bless you. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse, and, and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. So Abraham went. He believed. He trusted. He was, I just think he was just a regular dude up to that point, doing his, doing his life, probably a part of the pagan rituals and everything else that was going on in the society he was a part of. And God, Yahweh, interferes on his life and says, hey, I want to do something different with you. I want to do something with your life. I want to bless you. I want to make a name for you. And I want you to bless other people. Do you want to do that? <laughs> and I probably looked at what he had, and he's like, oh, that, that's, yeah, sure, let's give it a shot. Let's see what you got. So he, he joins in, and he trusts Yahweh. He trusts God that says, okay, I want to do something with your life. And we see his first thing he does is he starts to go on this journey that God sends him on. And as he's going through places like Canaan and these different cities that are named throughout this, this chapter, he starts setting up these offerings in these places. He says, then the Lord appeared to him in verse 7, said to Abraham, your offspring, I'm going to give you this land. I mean, that's like cool. You're traveling and you're like, hey, I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to bless you here. So he's, he's getting all these things from the Lord. And so he builds an altar to the Lord there. And he says, that appeared to him. And then later on again, he builds another altar to the Lord. It called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on going towards this direction. And so he's, he's setting up these little little altars along the way. And what does that say to a pagan culture when you're setting up an altar to some other god? It's kind of like, oh, you're declaring war. Like you're showing loyalty to another god in our, in our area? Like, no, like that's not cool. So he's, he's going along the way saying, all right, I, I trust you, Yahweh. I, w- I want to be a part of this blessing. I want to be a part of this story that you, you've got. Okay, well, then I'm, I'm going to be loyal to you. I'm going to show my love to you. I'm going to go through this land that you're calling me through to walk through. You're going to say you're going to promise and give me. Cool. And he's setting up these, these things that are like flags in the ground of like, this is Yahweh's territory. He told me he's going to give it to me. <laughs> like, and the people around him are like, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is our turf, you know? So he's showing his loyalty to God. He's starting to, you're starting to see his trust in Yahweh. And that's really the next one because as, as Abraham shows he's loyal, you know, and rather to this pagan nation and the other gods that are out there that these guys are worshiping, he is showing his loyalty to Yahweh. And so he does these sacrifices to Yahweh in, in the land. And then in verse, or chapter 15, we're going we're gonna to go quick. Like I said, just quickly, because I want to point out these, these little truths that I think are going to help us. We're going to see how he trusts him, even when it doesn't make sense. So this is the covenant he now makes with Abraham in chapter 15. And I'm just going to read it real quick because he says, After these things, uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Oh, Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've, you've given me no offspring. I'm not a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said, You or so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. There it is again. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. We see that again, just like we just read earlier in in, uh, Romans that he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He continues to trust God. He continues to have faith in what Yahweh, this God, is telling him to do and, and asking him of him. And so we see that the, 
There's no, there's no rules in place at this point. There's no law. Uh, he's just making this covenant right now with God. And it's like, okay, well, he's figuring out this relationship, but he trusts him. And he, and he, and he is doing it even when it doesn't make sense. He's, he, you guys that know the story, he's like, I'm old. I, don't, I, don't, I can't have kids. My wife's old. She can't have kids. And so he's like, okay, this doesn't make sense, but I trust you. You say you're going to bless me, and you say, you know, you're going to do these things in my life. So, all right, I trust you. And we see that awesome picture of his trust that he says um, he's going to put in Yahweh, in Jesus, in God. So chapter 18, we're going to go to the next one. So we got loyalty, we got trust, obedience is the next one. And this one is kind of the one that helps unlock the Matthew passage that we're at in Sermon on the Mount, for me at least. Um, Because he says in chapter 18, verse 19, he says, For I have chosen that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So we see this charge, really, where he says, God says, I'm going to choose you, Abraham. I want you to teach your household to follow my ways and teach them what? Teach them righteousness and justice. This this full package. This is what I want you to be about. This is what I want you to teach your kids about. This is what I want you to live your life like. Do these things, right? We'll come back to that and unpack that a little bit more because that's, again, that's going to be unlocking this, this next section of Matthew a lot. But very last one, Genesis 22. We're going to see his provision. We know this story, if you've been around the Bible very long, is the sacrifice of Isaac. So Abraham receives the child that he, that he believed he would have, right? That God told him he'd have. He receives this child. The child's growing. And he's just, you know, and how amazing is that to, to receive a kid at the age that they received it. They've trusted God. They've been loyal to him. They've been obedient. They're raising up their kids now to be righteous and justice pe- just, just people. And he now says, hey, verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Whew! That's crazy, right? <laughs> That's wild. What an what a act of obedience, first and foremost. The, the story plays out. He starts to do this. He gets up there. He takes the kid up there. The kid's carrying his own firewood. And they get up there and... God does what? He provides a ram. He says, hey, right before Abraham's about to kill his son, he says, hey, there's a ram over here. That's, that's what I want you to use, actually. Use that ram instead. The Lord provides, right? You're looking to God for provision. And throughout all that, that's what his answer is. He's like, I'm just, the Lord will provide. God will take care of it. I trust him. I've, I've looked at him. And I've seen him do great and amazing things in my life. Your testimony about my life right now, Isaac, you shouldn't exist, (laughs) but you're here. And so I've seen God do this. Yahweh has provided for me before. I trust in his ways. I've been teaching my kids to be obedient to his ways. Uh, I've been righteous and trying to be just as a human. And I I want my kids to be the same. So I, I trust you, God. I'm looking to you to provide for me. And he does. Look to God. Look to his provision. And look for it in the Messiah is what Jesus is saying in Matthew because I want to keep 
bouncing back and forth again. These, these stories, I think, are parallel in some ways. So the picture of the father and the son partnering together, Isaac and Abraham, to perform this sacrifice is this perfect picture of, of God the Father and Jesus and them coming together to put together the perfect sacrifice. And so this was a, this is a, a picture looking forward to the actual real sacrifice that Jesus was going to become, that Jesus did, that Jesus fulfilled as Messiah. And so I just think that is it's an amazing correlation, amazing connection. And we get these four things up here that help point that out again. We get, we get to see the loyalty that he showed and the trust that he showed. I mean, that's, that's loving God, right? Jesus boils all this down later on. that says, love God and love people. That's, that's a simple way of putting up the whole law together. Boom, love God and love people. And he's speaking about this moral righteousness law, the one that's eternal, right? That, that's, it's about the relationships. It's about the people. It's not about all these acts and stuff. Like, the, good, do good things. Be good, righteous people. Seek justice, yes. But be loyal to me and trust me. That's loving God, I feel like. Obedience, that's, that's the loving people. That's being a righteous and just and, and, and loving the people around us, right? And always looking to God for provide through all those scenarios, right? Because it's like, man, I love to look to my own strength all the time, right? I, 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 the last few weeks is the perfect example of my life just in chaos. But like, I've been like, okay, God, uh, what do you want me to say? And I've just been searching in my own mind and heart. and like, okay, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? Oh, I should read this. I should read that. I listen to so-and-so. I talk to so-and-so. Okay, I got to collect all this stuff because I got to say something, right? I got to say something. Noah, you have to do it. I'm looking to myself. That's horrible. <laughs> it's like God's saying, no, right here, plain and simple, look to me. I'm going to provide for you. Don't look at somebody else. Don't ask, don't try to get out of it. Like I'm, my spirit animal in the prophet's world is like Jonah. It's, that's, that would be my, like, I'm just going to run. I'm out. No, thanks. I've been doing it great for like 10 years. It's awesome. But like, that's not it either. Don't run and look to someone else to cover for you or, or take care of it or give you the answers or whatever. Like, come to me. I'm going to provide for you. I will provide for you. I can provide for you. So let me provide for you. Let me show you what I can do. I think that's what God is always saying. And we just, we trust ourselves. We trust other people. We trust the systems and governments and things in our, in, in around us to, to care for us better. And we think that they'll do a great job. And God's saying, well, I, man, I could do a way better job if you give me a crack at it, right? So I, this story, just, again, it just, I think it relates so well. And we get to see what Jesus is really getting at to the heart of what he's getting at when he calls out, What's going on here in Matthew? So if you guys want to flip back to Matthew 5, we're going to kind of button this up a little bit as we come down for a landing here. But he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the the scribes and the Pharisees, your role models, these, these religious leaders that you look up to, they're not doing it right. So look to me. Look to me. I got, I got what you need. And I think that's a great word for all of us today too. You know, you, we all look at great Christian role models and leaders and pastors and teachers. It's, it's like, wow, those are the guys. I got I to gotta follow them. Well, I want to be like a real opposite example of that. Like I don't have it all together. And I want you to like know that we have to go to Jesus to do it together. And we have to help each other. We have to commit to praying for each other and helping each other and serving each other and providing for, you know, just people that, that, that need help. We have to be those people. And so don't put people on a pedestal, you know. Um, don't, don't think that they've got any further down the line than you have. It's, it's really these four things that we all just need to be ascribing to in our own lives. 
is, God, I just, I just need to be loyal to you. God, I need to trust you when it doesn't make sense. And honestly, the last few weeks have not made sense to me. <laughs> but I want to be obedient, God. I want to be righteous. I want to do good things. I want to be just person. I want to seek your type of righteousness, this internal righteousness, this inward man change that I need. How do I do that? Because righteousness is it's, it's hard to obtain. These guys have been trying it for decades, for thousands of years, like trying to figure it out, trying to do it. And Jesus is now alluding to this. this it's got to be this heart change. It's, it's, I don't, the action's great, but like that's heart change. That's where it matters is when you're interacting with other people. How are you talking to them? How are you caring for them? How are you blessing them, helping them? There's a couple pictures of righteousness I want to just paint for you verbally. And if, if you like visuals, close your eyes and you can maybe try to picture it. But this is a... Righteousness. I think it refers kind of to the moral quality that establishes our, our right order as a kind of like a premise. Um, but C.S. Lewis explains it like this, and he's, he's a great picture. Uh, he's good at painting pictures with words, right? He says, I think all Christians would agree with me if I said that through Christianity, or though Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about duties and rules and guilt and virtue, Yet it leads you on, out of all that, into something beyond. One has a glimpse of a country where they do not talk of those things, except perhaps as a joke, but everyone there is filled full with what we should call goodness, as a mirror is filled with light. But they don't call it goodness. They don't call it anything. They are not thinking about it. They are too busy looking at the source from which it comes. It's kind of a cool picture, isn't it? If you could do that, <laughs> if you're a visual person. Just that world that he kind of created there with his words. It's like, man, that's, yes, it's goodness. Yes, it's good works. Yes, it's, it's, it's blessing people and serving people and caring for people. But they don't really call it that. They just do it. They're just living it out. There's those people you meet that are just bubbling over and just caring for people, loving people, serving people. Awesome picture. My professor, uh, Gary Brashears, he explains it like this. He says, righteousness and justice, because those are the two things that were called to obedience in, right? That, that, that uh, Abraham was, was asked to teach to his kids and his family and so on. He says, is a community life with all relationships, God, others, self, creation, the land, everything well-ordered so that life is full of shalom, all things flourishing as God designed them to be. That's, I mean, it's It's beautiful. Shalom is, just to break that down a little bit, because it's not just peace, is, is God's intended state of perfect beauty, peace, and completion in all things. Man, that sounds like a great world to live in, right? That sounds awesome. I think that's where we're headed. That's going to be this new heaven, this new earth that we're going into. But God is saying, I, your kingdom come like here on earth as it is in heaven. Like, let's bring this kingdom people and let's start doing that now while we're here. So that's the story that he was sharing with these people, this kingdom. I'm calling people to this kingdom, this different kingdom, this different way of living. And don't lower the standards. Keep them up there because I'm going to fulfill them. I'm going to take care of it. And then I'm going to empower you with my spirit to do likewise. I'm going to model it and I'm going to fill you with my spirit so you can do it too. That's, that's powerful. So I think, honestly, a righteous person, because that's what it breaks down to, is I have to be more righteous than these scribes and Pharisees, I have to change my heart. I have to find the heart of Christ, the heart that he had to come and do what he did. I, I have to find that. 
And I think righteous people will contribute to such a life that we just painted those pictures with those, those, those quotes from those really smart guys, right? <laughs> that's, that's our desire, righteous people that work towards righteousness, that are doing the good that God's called us to. In fact, like the Lord, I think they even disadvantage themselves sometimes for the sake of the community. Christ, perfect example of that, disadvantaged himself, came to human form, gave up his life, sacrificed his own life for us disadvantaged himself greatly for all of humankind. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advance the community, to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves, right? That's a great little contrast there. We can see that a lot. But we're called to be kingdom people. We're called to be sacrificial. We're called to be redemptive people. Like Christ redeemed us, now we're called to be the same. I'm going to bless you so you can bless other people, just like Abraham, right? So I'm going to redeem you so you can now help be a part of the redemption process for somebody else. Go bless other people. Go serve other people. Go care for other people. So what's that supposed to look like? I think it's similar to those, those four things. It's like we're just, we're living out that righteous life. We're, being, we're seeking justice. It's like the verse in Isaiah. It's like the verse in Romans. We believe in God. We trust in God. And this whole thing is pointing to now, like Abraham was told to believe in God at that point, now where the word is saying, believe in my son. Like, right? Believe in Jesus, that he came, that he fulfilled all this, that he did all this. Now believe in him. So put your faith in Jesus, is what he's saying. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Put your loyalty in Jesus. Put your obedience into Jesus. Look to him for provision, right? Just like we saw way back in Abraham's life. Now we're getting this version where he's like, okay, now look to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Believe in Jesus, because that is what's going to fill you with the ability to live out this extra little piece of verse 20 here where you have to exceed. How do I exceed? It's, it's got to be the heart. It's got to be the inner man. It's got to be this internal righteousness that has to happen where now I'm looking at people not as opportunities to exploit, but as opportunities to redeem, to be redemptive, to like renew our culture, to bless people, right? To care for people in sacrificial ways. So righteousness is this pattern of life. It's not merely specific acts. And what's at stake really is the person, the personhood, right? Not merely performance. Disposition rather than mere deeds. Character behind and beyond conduct. That's the people God is calling us to be. He's asking us to be. And so I'm going to have the band come out. And just as we button this up, I just, I pray that we can be a church that is like that, that, that understands the heart of God, that understands his desire to reach people and his desire of how we interact with people, how we treat people, you know. I adopted this mentality when I got married that I was going to have to return my wife at some point in this life to God and say, okay, you know, here she is. Thanks so much for all the years you gave us. And he's going to go back and look at me and say, well, what'd you do with her? How, how'd you help her? Did you upgrade her? Did you, did you like break her down? Did you hurt her? Like, what did you do? Did, is she better off now or is she worse? You know? And then I started having kids and I got heavier. I'm like, oh shoot, now I got to return four kids. I got to return four kids at the end of this life and be responsible for them, right? Like, oh man. And God's going to say the same thing to me. What did you do with them? How'd you care for them? 
Do they, do they know my character? Do they understand who I am? Do they understand what righteousness and justice is? Do they, you know, did you help them or did you hurt them? And then I look at all of you guys, I'm like, oh, shoot, now I'm standing before people, talking to people. And what, am, what is he going to say at the end of my life when he said, what'd you do with that 30, 45 minutes I gave you? Did, you? did you equip people? Did you invest in people? Did you help people or did you hurt them? You know, and I think all the interactions he gives us, like, what are we doing with them? Are they five minutes? Are they 10 minutes? What are we doing with them? How are we serving? How are we blessing? How are we renewing? How are we redeeming? the conversations that we have, the opportunities we have, the open doors that are there. So that, that's what I want to leave you with. I want to pray for you guys. Because God, we, we need you, ultimately. We can't do this on our own, Lord. People have gone before us, have tried, and they've probably done way better at it than we have with all the rules and living out this, this religion. And, and it doesn't equate to anything, Lord. You're either the least in the kingdom or you're not even in there. God, we don't want to be those people. Lord, we want to be a part of your kingdom here and now. We want to be living out these lives that you've called us to. Lord, we want to be loyal to you. We want to trust you more. We want to, even when it doesn't make sense, we want to be, obey you, God, and the things you've asked us and called us to do and be. We want to live out this righteousness. We want to be justice people. We want to look to you for provision through all of it because we know we're so weak and we can't do it on our own, God. And I have still nervous standing here and before you God I just I want to look to you for provision more in my life forgive me when I don't forgive me when I won't God I want to see you do great and marvelous things in and through these people through our community God would we be people that redeem our culture redeem the time that we have here on earth God renew our culture bless the people that we come in contact with would we be those ambassadors those people that do that And if you don't know Jesus this morning, he's the only way. He's the only way to have that inward change. And so invite him in. Ask him in. Say, God, I want want to be able to do that. I want to be able to have this new life. I want to be able to understand what it is to live this stuff out. I need your heart. You did it. You fulfilled it. Now fill me, Lord, to to do it because I'm weak. I can't do it. So some of you need to just Introduce yourself to Jesus for the first time this morning. Some of you guys need to come back and just say, God, I'm sorry. I've been trying to do it on just performance. I've been trying to do it through these morals. And and it's not working. I need you to change my heart. I need you to stir that up in me. So Heavenly Father, help us, we pray. In your name, amen.